and you know it's like a lot of musicians they create a lot of songs around their dark deepest moments or feelings or emotions but I've never had that because I've never really thought about having this absent father as a negative thing I've just thought well I'm bloody grateful I've got my mother you know what I mean I've always spun it round and kind of made a positive light on something that potentially could have been and could have actually affected me Hi everyone, my name is Inherit George Carey and you're listening to Daddy Issues, a podcast dedicated to confronting fatherlessness, but more specifically, fatherlessness in successful people. I want this podcast to prove that regardless of whatever daddy issues you may possess, you can achieve anything you put your mind to. Fatherlessness affects so very many of us, and so it's time to start listening to each other's stories and opening up this topic as one that needs to be recognized, heard, and confronted. In today's episode, I am speaking to Sadie Clayton. Sadie graduated from Kingston University in 2013 with a BA Ons in fashion design. Being fascinated by design and innovation, Sadie took these foundations to explore the creative boundaries between art, technology and fashion. Embraced by the art world as a creator and an innovator unique to the UK scene, Sadie has been interviewed by BBC Radio 4, been featured in Forbes and was invited to create a video by Art Fund for the V&A Museum exhibition of Frida Kahlo, who is a huge inspiration of Sadie's work. Sadie's repertoire of work is so vast and impressive that we'll be here forever if I go into it all. But one piece that shone out to me of her achievements, Sadie was asked to create the Copper Christmas Tree for the Ivy Granary Brasserie in 2018, which received an incredible and well-deserved amount of national press. Two other incredibly notable projects Sadie has been involved in is showcasing and demonstrating the art of working with copper metals as part of the Nick Walpington, Alexander McQueen Working Progress Exhibition at the Tate Britain, and her work with Sophia, the first ever social humanoid robot programmed through AI created by Hanson Robotics. Sadie and Sophia's work together has been featured in CNN, and Sadie recently did a project with Sophia that I'd love her to tell us about rather than me attempt to give it justice. So firstly, Sadie, welcome to Daddy Issues and thank you so much for coming on the podcast. Thank you for having me. What a wonderful intro. Yeah, well, I mean, I couldn't not because <laughs> I literally skipped out so much stuff. <laughs> I just want to add, that copper Christmas tree is now going to Leeds to my hometown. Is the it? The Ivy in Leeds, yeah. Oh my God, yeah, amazing. Yeah, an email last week saying, oh, you know, Christmas coming up, we thought we'd put the copper Christmas tree at the Ivy in Leeds. Oh, I'm over the moon in my hometown. And, did, and did they not even make the connection that that's where you were from? Well, I think they knew. Or was knew, that serendipitous? You know, yeah, right. well, I think they did know deep down. Yeah. But I just thought, oh, I'm going to take mum there on Christmas Eve for a little lunch next to Copper Christmas tree. <laughs> Let's get some <laughs> selfies. Yeah, exactly. <laughs> but how you, nice is that? Like, you know, created it here in London, yeah. which now is my home. Yeah. And now it's travelling and being recycled, which is very sustainable and ethical for the planet. Yeah, yeah. And going to Leeds, my hometown. Wow. So I'm chuffed about that. 
That's really cool. You should, I mean, I hope they give you a free meal because... Well, I hope so. I'm going to ask them, can we at lunch be complimentary, please? Yeah. <laughs> I made that tree. Yeah, exactly. It's mine. <laughs> yeah. So, yeah, that's quite nice. So I know from our brief communication about your dad that you did grow up with a dad up to the age of 18. Mm -hmm. And then a very important day he left, Mm -hmm. which I want you to obviously tell us about. And then now he's actually trying to come back into your life. Mm -hmm. So let's go in chronological order. Yes. So take me back to Leeds and your childhood. Okay, so back to the basics, back to the beginning. Exactly. Um, So Leeds is the nearest city to where I'm from. I'm from a town called Murfield, which is very, very small, really close to uh, Huddersfield as well. And um, growing up, I was one of, what, four mixed race people in the entire town. Um, Mm -hmm. And... It wasn't until recently that I realised that this has had a huge effect on my life in a positive way. Um, And I live with my mum and my mum and dad are separated and I go to my dad's at the weekend. And I've told this story quite a few times because it really does kind of make who I am. It's like part of my DNA. And... um, you know, I'd come back from my dad's and mum would be like, you can leave the attitude at the door, you know, because I was trying to fit in with the black girls. I was trying to mm. fit into that community, you know, sticking my hair down the side of my head, oh, yeah. tucking my jeans in my socks, uh, you know, wearing hoodies, wearing tracksuit, wearing sovereigns. Whereas over at my mum's, the girls weren't doing that there. You know, they were mm. straightening their hair, being very delicate. You know, it's a totally different culture. Um, so I remember one time dad took me for my hair cutting. And in order to cut it, they've got to straighten it first. And I'd go back to mum's and mum was saying, Trevor, what have you done? Why has she got straight hair? It's got to be curly. Why have you done this? And my dad were like, Virginia, calm down. Like, the minute it gets wet, it'll go back curly. So of course she dunked me in the bath when I got in. Um You know, so all my childhood, I was kind of having these conflictions between who I was, I guess. You know, do I fit in the white world or the black world? It's also interesting, if I quickly interrupt, how it was your black father who made you, who who went, who took you to straighten your hair, Uh which is essentially a white trait. Exactly. And it was your white mother who was like, her hair's curly. Yes, which is kind of, you know, Afro-Caribbean hair, you know, it's obviously Afro-Caribbean trait. Um, And I think it's because... In where I'm from, in Murfield, there's no Afro-Caribbean hair shops. You know, there's no way you can get my oils and my conditioners and my shampoos. And, you know, there's no uh, black women braiding hair. So the only option was for my dad to take me. Mm. Um, And, you know, it got to the age of, what, 13, 14, and I was just not fitting in. I was trying to scrub my freckles off. Me and mum were, you know, me and my mum's my world. Like, she is my number one, you know, like... At that age, we were having arguments, this attitude that I'd adopted, and it just wasn't working. So at that point, I thought, right, I can no longer be these two people. Mm. Um, And, you know, I'm very lucky that my great-grandparents in my life and my grandparents still in my life. And, you know, I had this fantastic support network that allowed me to just shine and do and be who I needed to be and mum took me to my mum's quite young you know she took me to uh, the charity shops but she'd stand outside and wait for me she couldn't bear the smell you know but she took me to Ikea (laughs) to buy some fabrics to make my own dresses you know she'd take me to the vintage shop she's like oh god the 80s again I've just left that you know Um, but she was so she was very very supportive of it Um, so at this point in in the podcast, I want to say that I'm very grateful that I had 
these two parents that were present in my life that were able to support me in the decisions that I've made, but from two very different backgrounds, very different cultures and very different opposing opinions. They weren't together. Mm. You know, they didn't get on. Mm. Um, even my dad having six hours of you know custody of me a week and having to drop me back at my mum's like there was friction there you know it didn't it didn't come near the door type of thing you know mm. so six hours isn't very much actually is it no 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 not at all um was know, that was that what he was allowed or was that sort of choice well yeah so um it was quite complicated because when mum found you know this was in 1990 when I was born, 1990 uh, December. So earlier that year, mum had fallen pregnant and she'd said to dad, look, I'm pregnant. He didn't want to know. He wanted to go out with the lad. You know, he were a mum had me at 21, 22, you know, mm. dead young. Um, and dad's only a year older. He didn't want to know. So my mum had to go through the pregnancy on her own. Mm. And then when I were born, oh, he wanted to step back in again. And mum said, actually, hang on a minute. Mm. You've not been here for the whole pregnancy. I've had to go through this, you know, deliver our daughter. And now you want to step right back in. So then dad took my mum to court and that's how he got custody over me, six hours a week. So he did fight for you? Oh, he did fight for me, Mm. yeah. And, you know, growing up, he was a very good father. I don't know if good is the right word. Um, Six hours a week is nothing. You know, when you've got a kid, really, what, what, what can you kind of shape and form for mm. a child in that amount of time he came to the odd parents evening which i recently found out i did a little bit of research before i came on the podcast i was oh, like mom did, did dad ever come to any parents evenings like yeah probably like one or two yeah um you know he didn't come to sports days like he didn't he wasn't there to do my homework with me you know so all those little things that you take for granted mm. he wasn't Therefore, what he would do on a weekend is go and buy my new school shoes or get my hair cut or, you know, buy my Afro-Caribbean hair products, take me to my Jamaican grandma's, mm. uh, you know, and I've got a lovely relationship with her and I still, you know, still see her when I when I go home. Um, so, yeah, that's kind of how it was. And it was, you know, six hours a week up until I was 18. Um, but, you know, he, within that time, he met a new woman and, you know, it's that good old thing, isn't it? Stepmothers are... Evil. <laughs> the evil so, <laughs> so tell me about that when he met a new woman and what happened then? Well, it was very funny because my mum and dad had an argument, as always, mm-hmm. and my dad had said to mum at some point, Sadie will always be my number one. As in, you know, number one person in my life, number one girl, number one woman, like she is my firstborn. So one time, this one particular day... Did you day, hear him say that? Sorry. No. Right. He'd said it on the phone to mum. Right. And then... This one particular argument, my mum um, reiterated that in a text to my dad. Just you remember, you've said to Sadie that she's your number one. And somehow the stepmother read that. And from that moment onwards, because at this point I'd, had, I'd got a sister, a half-sister. Right. You know, so he'd had another girl mm. and then he's had another one, re- you know, since then. And that's, we'll get onto that later. Um, so obviously there was a little bit of jealousy there because... My mum came first. I obviously then were born. So then I became this number one girl in my father's life. And then this new woman came on board and she wanted to be the number one. So she it was it was like a very jealous relationship. Mm. So what happened was every time I'd go to my dad, say he'd pick me up at one o'clock, get there for half past one. 
the mother in the, the mother in law the the stepmother <laughs> you've got it in my head now the stepmother would take my sister away and out I don't know gallivanting shopping or whatever and then bring her back half an hour before I had to leave. So there were no bonding for me and the sister. That's it. There were no bonding for me and the stepmother. My dad used to pay maintenance every month and he'd give me my cheque in secret. She couldn't see. The stepmother couldn't see that he were giving money to his firstborn. You know, I'm still a kid. To his child. To his child. You know, so it was a very, very funny whole old thing going on. Um, and that really became kind of you know, the, the the start of the breakdown, shall we say. You know, the the start of this kind of corrosion how Um, old were you at this point i think i must have been about 13 12 12 13 yeah yeah so kind of when i started to realize who i was as a person i started to play around my identity Mm. and i guess at that point i was in that headspace to do so because my sister wasn't there to try and hang around with you know bond with yeah um the stepmother wasn't really interested in me and all my friends at my dad's, you know, they didn't quite get me either. I remember one time there were these bunch of black girls and they were going to beat me up because one of the lads fancied me because I'm the light-skinned. You know, right. it's very interesting, this race and different shades. Mm. Like, what is it, 50 shades of grey, 50 shades of black? You know, it's that bloody <laughs> thing, isn't it? Um, so, you know, at that point, I guess it allowed me to begin to explore the creative elements within mm. within my DNA. Mm. Um and yeah, that's kind of where it began. I was going to say actually later on, but I might as well bring it up now, how you're so creative in everything that you do, as well as the way that you dress. Even today, you are literally a walking <laughs> art piece. <laughs> well, someone said in Soho, do you dress like that every day? Or is it, have you just come from a shoot? <laughs> but you really we'll are always a walking art piece and you're so expressive and you're so unique. And I wonder if that's to do with this identity crisis that was happening mm-hmm. to you where you were feeling so torn between two different cultures two different races two different parents Mm -hmm, mm -hmm. and then just them deciding to just make yourself yeah absolutely a hundred percent is that um encourage you've hit the nail on the head you know the fact that i didn't belong here or here that was my time to burst it's like if something's been suppressed it's squeezing out the sides Mm. or my squeezing out the sides or exploding out the sides you know we're putting on thousands of beads around my neck and this big gold cream eyeliner and straightening parts of my hair when i met leah my partner you know, 11 years ago next week, bloody hell, you know, I used to straighten it, straighten my hair, back comb it and attach hair into it and have this huge beehive. You know, I really did explore mm. every avenue within my creativity. Do you think also part of that, as well as being different, as well as somewhat rebelling as well, and, and, yeah. and also being, you know, finding your own identity, it's sort of all, all these different layers inside mm-hmm, it. Mm-hmm. Do you think also part of that was attention and kind of mm-hmm. being like, hello, yeah, like yeah. notice mm-hmm, me mm-hmm, mm-hmm. and he, obviously with your mother you were a single child with mm-hmm, and she mm-hmm. was a single parent I believe Open, yeah up until I was seven then my, my gorgeous brother came along but oh yeah. okay yeah <laughs> but it's maybe a part of just like the the sort of effects of mm-hmm, or the mm-hmm. repercussions of um, you know when you're at school and your teacher says to you you will never be a fashion designer and you're like I'll oh, bloody show you and yeah. you kind of go yeah, I don't know, a thousand million miles per hour to make sure you do it and you do it to the best of your ability to kind of show and prove people wrong. Yeah. That's kind of what I was doing. Yeah. So I don't fit in your community. I don't fit in your... I'm going to make my own community. I'm going to find my own tribe, mm. which kind of is what led me to London as well, you know, to go and study fashion design. Yeah. 
But it's also interesting that you just said when the teacher said you were never going to do that, that you mm-hmm. thought, I'll show you. Yeah. We're having a disco <laughs> going on. <laughs> it's the universe saying, yes, The lights right. in our room are just flashing on and off. This is so funny. But anyway, I'm sort of tangenting here. Julia Samuel, I always bring her up in my mm-hmm, podcast because mm-hmm. she's just said so much stuff that's so fascinating. And one of the things is that it's this, and I, I think it was called... Um, a type A kind of person, mm-hmm. which sounds really elitist and weird, but it's to do with that I will show you. It does take a particular person to do that and have yeah. that mindset. And I think it goes back to that Ayurvedic way of life, you know, your different doshas, yeah. you know, and, and kind of not only your DNA and your conditioning from a childhood, but also the type of person that you've become through, I don't know, the things that you read and the things that you like. You know, mm. there's lots of things that build you as to who you are. Totally. But I also completely think that you can change. Like, mm. Mm-hmm. You can be someone who might have not been a Taipei once upon a time because of your experiences and because of all the different things that, you mm-hmm. know, to do with nature, nurture. But whatever that is, there are just some people who are more instinctively like type A. Mm-hmm. But then I think you can totally change your mind and, yeah. and that mindset. Yeah. Anyway, sorry, tangent. No, no, absolutely. So you were struggling with this mm-hmm. age 13. Stepmother comes into the picture. Mm-hmm, mm-hmm, mm-hmm. And obviously I'm going home and telling my mum what's happening. So she's getting more and more livid, being mm. like, you know, what do you mean your dad's got you for six hours? You know, you're meant to like bond as a family. And yet she's buggering off with the other sister. And, you know, you're not able to be a part of this family, that you're meant to be, you know, a new unit. And then I'd mm. go to my grandma's, but dad's self-employed, so he'd fall asleep. And grandma, it'd just be like me and grandma. You know, so there were not really, if I look back and really think properly, there were never really that much bonding between dad and I, which is why at the beginning I said, I don't know if good is the right word. Mm. He was always encouraging and always told me how much he'd love me. He was always very expressive, for you know, with his emotions. Mm. But he never... I don't know, I didn't really build this Sadie Clayton that you see today. Mm. You built you. Yeah. Yeah. Me and my mum built me. Yeah, yeah, exactly. (laughs) Exactly. I know. Let's celebrate the mums. Yeah. Um, Me too, mummy's issues. Yeah, yeah, exactly. (laughs) Mummy's non-issues. Mummy's non-issues, totally. (laughs) Um, So take me to your 18th birthday. 18th birthday. Oh, I had a dress made. Oh, it was gorgeous. It was like green tartan, gold ribbon down the back. I got this bee, big beehive earrings, platforms. I felt like the Donna had all of Murfield come. It was like party of the year. <laughs> Mum had hired out this like working men's club. It was brilliant. Dad came along, brought a few, you know, mates on my dad's side. Uh, the stepmother came. But guess what? Didn't bring the sister because she's too young. She's not allowed to come. This party started at like 6.37. Why she couldn't have brought it for an hour and then, you know, gone home? I don't know why. Because my, on my dad's side, my little, like his best friend's little boy was there. He was like two years old, you know. Mm. People make the, it's an 18th birthday party, you know. Yeah. So that was strike one. And then, anyway, party's going on. It's all great. Next thing you know, dad says, right, you know, you're 18 now. That's it. What do you mean that's it? Well, you know, uh, you're 18, I need to support yourself. Hang on a minute. At the age of 18, because my birthday is in December, so I was still completing my um, college years up until the following June. Then I did a whole um, foundation degree in art and design and ceramics up until the the next September. Then I came to London for three years at a degree. So actually, I've been in education for three and a half years past the age of 18. So at what point... Mm. You know, sorry, four and a half years. So at what point does that give him the right to say, you know, you're 18 now, you better support yourself. Mm. Um, 
And that's when it all began to break down. Right. Um, you know, I don't I don't really have a lot of memories uh, from the last 10 years. Um, every Christmas and birthday, he'll leave a card with my grandma with some money in it. Um, you know, so he does acknowledge that it's, you know, the festive season and obviously my birthday. So he does kind of celebrate that. But... There were never really any sort of outreach. It kind, of, it just kind of let me go. And then, I want to say maybe the last eighteen months, he is like Woody the woodpecker, pet, 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 peck. I'm like, hello, you know. Seriously, the last ten years have really, really shaped who I am, Ankarad. Like, mm. you know, from a trauma that happened at university when I was creating these copper sculptures and I handed the pieces over to a metal worker and he wouldn't give me it back and me and Liam had to go and like, you know, something out like a Channel 4 drama, you know, go and collect this. And every night I was on the phone to mum two in the morning, crying my ass, my degree's on the line. You know, he wasn't there for any of that. Mm. Liam and I bought a property last year, wasn't around for that. Mm-hmm. Um, you know, being what, a, a young professional, an art, a struggling artist in London wasn't around for that. You know, there's a lot of things that he was absent for. Mm. My graduation, you know, with a cap, with the fro coming out the sides, <laughs> he wasn't there for. I didn't even get a congratulations on completing your degree or whatever your, your parents, your father's meant to say, you know? Mm. So then at, at what point does he think it's okay right now to say... When you're successful. When you're successful, oh, I've missed you. Uh, I think about you every day. I do love you. It's unconditional love, uh, you know. And I've I've gone. I've obviously fought back and said, "Hold on a minute. Ten years you've not been there. What point do you think you can just crawl back in now that I'm happy and you know, getting somewhere?" And he said, "Well, I told. And this is the best bit. I told you, Sadie. I had two more children which I had to support. I said, look, unfortunately." This planet does not quite work like that. You don't have a child and then have another one and forget about your previous one. Like you have children, you've got to maintain like their health and their wealth and make them who they are destined to be. You don't just forget and let go and not support because you've got two others. If you can't afford them, don't have them. Do you know what I mean? I know it sounds really like accidents happen, whatever, but come on. Like you, You just literally said that to me in a text. Like I told you I had two other children to support. Wow. Yeah. And at that point, I, I think it was only the other month because it's been trying and trying and trying. When was that message, sorry? Oh, maybe like two months ago. Okay, like so quite this, recent. Is, this is all very recent. Oh, yeah, yeah. Well, he's been dropping these kind of little sentences in here and there and I've been fighting back and kind of giving a, you know, a few arguments and he'll try again. Every month, hi, Sadie, how are you? Hope you and Liam are well. You know, he's always trying. Mm. And then this last time, he just something just really grated on me and I was like, hang on a minute. You can't just have two more children and then forget about me. And that's mm. what he did. Anyway, guess what? He's recently split up with a with the uh, girlfriend, the stepmother. No Hence why he's now right back that... in there wanting to get in my life. Mm. You know? Mm. Oh, I heard you're on BBC Radio Four. And what? You know, that were mm. eighteen months ago. Why? Why have you not? Why didn't you say something then? You've always had my number. Mm. You know. So um, I had to put a stop to it at this point, and I said, "Look, at this at this point in my life, as a as an adult." I'm going to draw a line under this conversation. It's very inhumane, in my opinion, of you to you know think like this and act like this. Mm. The last 10 years I've survived without you. I'm not sure you're going to add much more to my life. And I know that might sound a bit harsh and maybe to the listeners, but on the flip side of things, I've had such an incredible support network from my mum from my grandparents, from my stepdad, from my brother, from my partner. I don't need an extra body to A, bring up old 
you know, past and whatever, all that negativity. Mm. And B, trying to f- try form a new relationship with me. We all know as you get older, especially, relationships are hard to maintain. You know, and your life is like a train. You have carriages and people, pa- like passengers come in your carriages and they might stick around for a month, they might stick around for five years, then they might leave your carriage. And that's fine, you know, but it's hard to nurture and maintain these relationships. So I don't know why he thinks at this point in my life, I'm going to take the time to bring him in and form this new relationship, you know? Mm-hmm. Um, so that's where I'm at. Yeah. I guess it's a little bit disruptive maybe for the Daddy Issues podcast because it's he was there and then he wasn't there and I was trying to be there again. And no, it's me that's kind of fighting him off. No, it's not destructive at all because it's a, it's another version of that absence and how mm-hmm. you cope with it. Because as you say, in your childhood, he still lived in a different house and you uh-huh, still only yeah. saw him six hours a week. Yeah, which and, is nothing really. Yeah, yeah which yeah, is absolutely right. nothing. So you still grew up in some way fatherless. Yes. Even though he was there. And yes. you were very lucky that, of course, he was emotionally saying, I love you, which uh-huh. lots of people never hear their yeah, whole life. True, true. But equally, there were huge negatives to things yeah. that he also did. Mm-hmm. And then, of course, the women coming in, yeah. which we can't always blame just that other person who comes in it takes two to oh, tango 100% because it's so easy to go like oh now she's out his life now he's back to normal yay mm-hmm. and how it would be so easy to then for people to go oh great so she was clearly the problem no he had that responsibility so, yes. as a father to you and you are recognising mm-hmm, that mm-hmm. you're not letting him get away with it in a way yeah exactly and it's so soon and it's so early for you who knows what the future holds but right now uh-huh. it is not no on the cards yeah. and a lot of people do say oh you'll regret it oh it's your father oh you're lucky you've got some hang on a minute mm. you've been there for 10 years mm. you know like at, at what point can I just think oh yeah you can swarm him back into my life like that's a difficult one and these are form these are your tw- 20s I actually oh, think are absolutely the these are your core hardest <laughs> yeah. years you find out who you are you go through anxiety which I've just learned about what oh, that word means my God, yeah. you know there's all sorts of things that happen yeah um so yeah this stage in my life right now as 28 year old I am not prepared to let this man step into my life that has been absent for the last 10 years so tell me about those 10 years and how you think his absence, having had some form of relationship, even though I would say it, it sort of disintegrated as you got older anyway, mm-hmm. there was almost some sort of preparation towards this mm-hmm. sudden removal. But how has that influenced you, your work and your relationships? Mm-hmm, mm-hmm. Um that's quite an interesting one because I've always had that ambitious streak in me. Mm. You know, I've always been top of the class or I've always or tried to be top of the class. You know, I've always wanted to be the fastest at sports day. Mm. Um, you know, always want to make the next best thing and be the best person at this. So I've always had that little streak in me. But having him not been in my life the last 10 years, it's almost like I said before that I'll show you. And I know, and this is quite funny, I went back to Leeds a while ago. What were I doing? I might be doing a talk or some sort of guest lecturing at Leeds College of Art. I can't remember what. And I bumped into my dad's best mate. And he was like, Sadie, Sadie, Sadie. I heard you on BBC Radio 4. I told your dad about it. So I know that my dad's best mate, Voldy, is very... Uh, very tuned in and very switched on and knows what I'm doing, you know? Like, it's quite easy to Google me. It's quite easy to find, you know, my Facebook's mm. not private or anything like that. And I'm often post, well, I say often, not very good at social media, but, you know, I do post bits here and there. <laughs> so I know my dad's 
neither knows what's going on. You know, he texts me last year, oh, I heard you and Liam bought a house. How the hell do you know that? You know, so I do know that yeah, he's around. He checks, he checks he's out. Absolutely, he's listening. He's, uh, he's seeing, that's for sure, or he's seeking, I don't know. Um, but, uh, so, the last 10 years without him being in my life, I've just not really thought about it. I've kind of accepted that I have one parent. Obviously, I've got my stepdad and his fab, but, you know, I've got my mum. My mum is my rock. She's the one that I speak to every day on the phone. She's the one that's like, well, darling, it's not meant to be. Oh, well, something, you know, things about to happen around the corner. Well, you know, that wasn't meant to be in that case. You know, she's always so positive, so expressive, and that's what keeps me going. So I've mm. never felt like I've had a missing link. Um, and all I can do is continue to be who I am and just keep creating and keep innovating and keep, you know, coming up with these new pioneering ideas and just keep this explosion of creativity bubbling. Mm. And, you know, one day he'll soon regret what he's missed out on. I think he's already regretting. <laughs> <laughs> missed out on that one, babes. Yeah, but, you exactly. know, yeah. Well, that's amazing that you that you can also recognise that you don't need two parents to be complete. Mm-hmm. You really need just one incredibly... Yeah loving one who actually can't give you everything because they're a human being and human mm-hmm. beings don't have everything mm-hmm. to give. Mm-hmm. They mm-hmm. have their own skills and their own abilities or non-abilities but it's amazing how your strength of character knows that actually you don't need your father. That's not something that is required in life. Mm-hmm. Mm-hmm. But talking of fathers, what do you think having had that sort of slow fade of your father mm-hmm. throughout mm-hmm. your life, what do you think a father's role is in his daughter's life and you know fathers in general but also your father did you ever feel a lack of Mm -hmm, mm -hmm. with him yeah not just with you know culture clash and all that different stuff but with that father-daughter relationship yeah um do you know what I don't have a lot of faith in men I must say um because even my brother's father you know he was a nasty piece of work and he was quite abusive so you know we soon got rid of him uh my mum's current husband he's lovely and you know he if I had to say about any kind of father figure he's the one that I'm like Russell how do I need, how do I add that onto that you know like so he's always on the other um end of the phone um but I feel that I've never, and my granddad, like he's the one that had picked me up. Oh my God, for example, my mum, super strict, like, you know, we're super close, very, very protective when I were a kid and still is, but we were very, very strict when I was a kid. And New Year's Eve party, one of my best mates, Sammy, she got this big house and we all used to go to hers for a New Year's Eve party. My mum would say, right, Sid, you've got a curfew, you need to be home at 1am one, 1, 1 and your granddad will come pick you up. So my granddad obviously wouldn't drink all night wait for me to finish my party, pick me up at 1am and then drive me home. You know, because obviously my brother Miles is in bed, so mum can't collect me. You know, so that man in my life, my granddad, you know, brownies take me to dance classes, he take me to, you know, he bought me my first sewing machine, mm. he bought me my blazer for my school, you know, for high school. So he's been that father figure. Um, but he's my granddad and he's got his own children as well. You know, mum's one of four and now, you know, there's loads of grandkids and actually now we've got great grandkids, you know, so, but he is, He's the number one man, really, if mm. I have to think of any in my childhood. Um, and I guess then that brings me on to talk about Liam and the fact that, you know, he he's the, he's the man in my life. Like, he's my he's my best friend. He's my soulmate. He's my partner. He's my lover. He, he's everything. And mm. next, like I said, next week we've been together 11 years. And he, I met him 
a month before I turned 18. So he met my dad once. He met my dad at my 18th birthday. He came in just as your dad left. Just as my dad left, yeah. Um, So yeah, 11 years now, I've not seen dad. Uh, You know, so, uh, I don't know, it's just... uh, So you had that male energy and support around you. Yes. For your grandfather and then your stepfather and then now Liam. Yes. So there's a part, how, yeah. So So it is never, so I've never really kind of um, needed my biological father in my life because I've had these people, these men, and Liam now, you know, he's... He's also creative. He works in advertising. He's a um, creative in advertising. So he's the one that can A, put me in my place because I know I'm a gobby shy. You know, I know I've got a big gob. I know I can be outspoken. And he can soon put me right back in that place, you know. He's very, very supportive. You know, he he did uh, graphic design. At, we moved to London together. So he did graphic design at Kingston. Mm. So he helps me with my portfolio. He helps, you know, on InDesign, make sure it all looks right, nice and neat. Um, you know, we he tells me if something's not quite working outfit-wise, but I don't always listen um you know like when we were first together he used to help me glue my extensions in my hair you know we once went out in liverpool and i left my silk white blazer at a friend's and he drove all the way back to collect it for me you know he sounds very far like a very like a father figure in a way yeah yeah that's what dads do they do things like help them with their daughter's hair yeah 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 well i guess you know it's that i guess because i didn't have that I almost looked at him to be like, can you do this? Can you do that? And because, yeah. he, you know, we kind of love at first sight. I knew him six days and I became his girlfriend. You know, oh, we're just, you know, it's quite a, a romantic story. Um, <laughs> but, you know, quite a rare one as well. But um, there were no dating apps back then. Um, <laughs> you know, so I guess, yeah, I did look at him to do all those. You know, can you put that mirror up there? Oh, can you sort that light bulb out? You know, even though yeah. mum could do it to a certain extent, uh, you know, he's always been that male figure that protects me, that loves me unconditionally, mm. that feeds me. But he is an amazing cook, you know. So <laughs> without him, actually, I'd be lost. But, you know, it's a relationship. It takes two, you know. And mm. and he's also lucky to have me, I must say. Oh, cool, cool. Uh, you know, because I, I, I'm I'm unique and I'm a certain person. And, I, you mm. know, I'm not straight. I'm not a bitch. I know some girls will be whining. You know, I, you know it's a two-way thing. So, I mean, yeah. Yeah, I'm very grateful to have him. Gosh, I feel like, has he got a twin? I know. A few friends have said that. Have you got any more Liams around? (laughs) You're an incredibly positive person to have on daddy issues because I think what it shows is that if we think of how the term daddy issues was even Mm -hmm. really coined and how it's thrown around so misinformed, especially at women, Mm -hmm. choosing bad relationships with men or choosing Mm -hmm. bad men for relationships or not necessarily bad men, but men probably have their own shit Mm -hmm. and you know, them coming together and not being a good match and then the girl getting the blame for being this, that, the other. Mm -hmm. But you're like the antithesis of daddy issues in many ways. Do you know what I mean? You're kind of showing (laughs) this incredible, and I think that's really, really important. No, big time, because it really shows a totally different side that people can also take. Yeah, yeah, You know, you don't have to fit some sort of stereotype just because you don't have a dad. Well, exactly. And I think as well, when I... You know, when I started listening to your podcast, I just, I really thought, God, I need to tell my story. I want to talk to Ankara about this because it's quite interesting that a lot of successful people haven't had that father figure. Mm. And, you know, I maybe one day I'll become one of those. And I think, you know, if I can share my positive story um, to others and encourage others to not get so down if your father's not there because actually it turns you into a different person and turns you into, I don't know, a stronger person or, you know, you, you look at other things in different ways and 
you know, other things become a success if the father if the father doesn't. You know, so mm. there are, like you said, you know, there are a positive there are positive ways to to look at this and to spin things round. Yeah, and that's the way that we want that to become maybe much more the normality rather yeah, than it yeah. being kind of like something you feel like a victim of. Absolutely, and I, you know, I, I don't, I can't talk too much about the uh, digital, uh, the dating apps, but you know, a few of my friends are on them, and I think that more and more and more cases are happening where there will be a lot of single mothers, or you know, now you can buy sperm online and you have a, you know, child of your own. You don't need a man now to have a child, mm. you know. So actually, I think there will be more and more cases of children being brought up without a father yeah you know so i think this podcast all is perfect. S- all, sorry to interrupt no, no, you fine. but all same-sex parents same-sex parents exactly yeah. that you yeah. know so there's so much diversity within parenthood right parenthood is that the word yeah mm. happening now that actually your podcast is so relevant so significant and you know if i can encourage people not to worry if the relationship breaks down then that's fine yeah it's so good to have you on because I was expecting like you to say something along the lines of all my creations became inspired by this that I felt about my father and oh no it's yeah. never been, it's never been it's never been present in any of my creative processes ever but that's amazing because as much as it's amazing that the other way happens and you know people channel that energy and that trauma mm-hmm. and into their work and that's a massive thing as well and that's you know wonderful in itself because you're channeling that at least into something positive it's just great to have mm-hmm, mm-hmm. you saying yeah. like ah uh-uh, that i just forgot about that yeah see ya you <laughs> yeah. know don't need you bye yeah exactly and you know it's like a lot of musicians they sing don't they sorry I know this thing, but they create a lot of songs around their dark, deepest mm. moments or feelings or emotions. But yeah. I've never had that because I've never really thought about having this absent father as a negative thing. Mm. I've just thought, well, I'm bloody grateful I've got my mother. You know what I mean? I've always spun it round and kind of made a positive light on something that potentially could have been and could have actually affected me. Yeah, big time. Um, you know, and I know a lot of, you know, I know now growing older that childhood uh, and your conditioning through your childhood is what forms you as an adult. Mm-hmm. Um, you know, and I'm just lucky that, I hate the word lucky, I'm not lucky at all, I work hard, but I'm just <laughs> um, happy and grateful that I've been able to take that uh, mentality on board and you know keep going and keep creating and keep making yeah oh i feel so inspired (laughs) (laughs) maybe we'll just have you on every week (laughs) a little side note by sadie clayton (laughs) so i have one more question yeah and that is if your dad was listening to this podcast right now yeah what would you want to say to him I'm fine. I'm alive and kicking. I don't know. Well, I, I've been thinking about this for a while because I know I yeah. knew that would come in. I have no idea. Like it's really hard because oops, it's really hard because he probably will find this podcast. He probably will listen, mm-hmm. and and I'm glad because it just means that he'll understand all my emotions and all my movements that I've made in the last ten years. Um, so if I had to say something, I think just that, like, I'm fine. I'm doing great. I don't need you. And, you know, thanks for kind of boring me off 10, 11 years ago. But actually, it's made me a stronger and better and this woman that I am today, this vibrant, energetic, positive, 
creative being that I happen to be walking around with this big puffy harlequin jacket you know what I mean like I, I'm just thankful you know and that's why I, I think too many people now dwell on all the bad things all the negatives actually let's look at it from a positive angle and let's thank the universe that something happened you know mm. made you be who you are today uh, all these things that coming in our path are just obstacles and make you stronger and build your resilience so actually father thank you for allowing me to become this wonderful woman (laughs) (laughs) producer of herself yeah (laughs) oh my god Uh, Sadie Clayton thank you so much for coming on Daddy Issues thanks for having me it's been amazing You were sensational. Oh God, that was amazing. Was it okay? Yeah, I can just talk for England. Have you said? Have you said everything you want to say? As in, like, was there anything I didn't cover that you feel like you'd want to say? I guess the only one because um, Sophia is the first robot that I worked with last year, but the robot that I've just worked with is Ada, and she's the first female artist robot. Mm. And I guess the way that I, because people always say, "Why do you want to work with a robot?" You know why? It's weird. Even Liam, when he saw me, you know, on TV on BBC One with the robot, he's like, "Oh, it creeps me out." Um, <laughs> which, you know, it's true. It, it's not. It's not human, is it, to have this kind of humanoid? But I think the answer that I can give is that I like working with artificial intelligence because I don't know what's going to happen. It's all via an algorithm, mm. and that's been my life. You know, I've, I, because of my absent father and mum being a single parent, having to get the food, for, you know, it's always been kind of the unknown. And it kind of keeps you on your toes. And also, in opposition to that, I'm such a control freak in that whenever I have any, I always have projects on, but I always try and prepare for the worst or prepare for a disaster. But actually, you should just let that go. Allow surprise to flow into my life. Um, so I guess that's the reason why I like working and creating new and innovative um, projects and artwork, especially in the te- in the technical world. Because I'm not I'm no tech head whatsoever. I don't got a clue how tech works. But what I have got, which um, which I can bring to the table, is the fact that I've got the ideas, I've got the innovation, I've got the creation, mm. and I think doing the project last week and the week before at the Tate Modern with Ada that I sent you the videos mm-hmm. of, um, it meant that I was able to allow the element of surprise. I had no idea what she was going to draw for me to respond to. And that kind of emulates my entire life up until up until now. You know, the fact that I've never really known. Like Liam and I didn't know we were going to buy a property last year. You know, I... When I met him, I didn't know we were going to move to London together. Mm. You know, you've got to allow for that surprise. And I think society nowadays, we're all overthinking, over-consuming, over-preparing, over-analysing. And actually, it's stopping us from creating and just being, Mm. you know, and just existing. Um, So, yeah, maybe that's another thing that I would have maybe mentioned. That's so interesting. No, that's just been recorded. Oh, now you're going to slot it in somewhere. Yeah, I'm going to slot it in. <laughs> but actually, I, I... Does that make sense, though? No, it makes total sense. So in a way, actually, there is a subconscious, as much as you've actually then put a positive spin on that, mm-hmm. there is a subconscious, perhaps ingrained drawing you have towards 
the unpredictable. Unpredictable. That's the word. Thank yeah. you. Yeah. Thank you. And even from, fre- you know, we all know that friends can be unpredictable. Being freelance, one minute you've got a job, next minute you haven't. Well, that's very unpredictable. Yeah. You know, in a way it kind of set you up quite well for the career that you then... Exactly. <laughs> I'm telling you, I would. I think that I was destined to do what I do. A hundred percent. I were made to be this person. I were made to be expressive. I were made to be colourful. I were made to create. Mm. And whatever capacity that takes for it to happen, it's going to happen. Mm. Oh, yeah. that was beautiful. I'm so glad we got that bit in. Oh, good. <laughs> Yay! Woohoo! Thank you so much for listening to my episode with Sadie Clayton. What an absolute breath of fresh air. I am still feeling completely buzzed. She was just sensational. And she really is as positive in energy as you probably feel right now having listened to her. And what an amazing different take to have in Daddy Issues podcast on fathers and on fatherlessness. So yes, what a bit of new insight and new inspiration. So thank you. If you like Daddy Issues podcast, I would be so grateful if you could rate, review and subscribe to us on iTunes or Spotify as it helps other people find us and get Daddy Issues to as many eyes and ears as possible. You can find the links to these on www.thedaddyissuespodcast.com. A special thanks goes out to Warren at Wargy Productions, who is the master of both sound and music. Ben and Aaron at Interface, who have made my website and do all the graphic design. And thank you guys for listening. I love hearing your thoughts, so don't hesitate to get in touch. If there's anything at all that's affected or resonated with you and you'd like to get some support or follow up on anything that's been said, previous guest and psychotherapist Julia Samuel has an incredible website, www.griefworks.co.uk. Once again, thank you so much and I hope you enjoyed the episode. Thank you.